Welcome to another time of Rebel. I'm your host, Jacko, and I have got a stinking cold. I do apologise. On this week's show, I'm delighted to say we are joined by a very good friend of mine, Alex Huntley from Walkblock Miniatures. But before the two of us get rambling, here's this week's Tabletop Gaming News. North American Tabletop Convention Gen Con have announced that it will be postponing its 2021 event into September the 16th to the 19th. It's also looking to bring back the Gen Con online and adding a pop-up event that's going to be taking part in participating local stores. The reason for this is after consulting with experts from Centre of Disease Control, I think they're still a little bit concerned about the COVID situation and so postponing it back into mid-September, they'll be able to create a better and safer event. I am pleased that they are doing what they're calling a hybrid event, where they are incorporating the online and the local game stores, as although the numbers will be down due to certain restrictions, it'll still give you an opportunity to take part, even if you won't be able to physically be there. <laughs> Fantasy Flight Games have announced that Keyforge is going to get a new co-op mode, in two free-to-play adventures that expand upon the themes and mechanics found in Dark Tidings. These two new adventures present players with a new challenge to overcome using Keyforge decks in their collection. With each adventure playing in a unique way and featuring multiple difficulty levels, you must come up with entirely new strategies to win. You'll have the option of playing this as both solo and co-op with up to two other friends. I'm a big fan of Keyforge, so having new ways to play this is absolutely brilliant and the fact it's free is even better. Marcus Brand, the co-designer of Exit the Game series, has teased an upcoming Lord of the Rings themed instalment of the Escape Room ball game. Brand tweeted an image of two blank prototype boxes revealing the German titles of two upcoming Exit entries. The most notable of which is called Schatten Uben Mieterland, which translates to Shadows Over Middle Earth. The box also features the German logo for Lord of the Rings, confirming its direct connection to the J.I.R. Tolkien's uh, fantasy trilogy. German board game magazine Brettspielbox subsequently cast further light on the upcoming board game, indicating that Shadows Over Middle-Earth would be a beginner-level experience that sees players attempting to protect Frodo and save Middle-Earth during the events of Lord of the Rings. So if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings and like escape rooms, this is going to be a must for you, I would have thought. In a blog post by studio head Steve Kimball, board game publisher Z-Man Games will soon end its support for their Euro Classics titles and to stop further work on the upcoming board game Princess of Florence. Consisting of five currently available boxes, the Euro Classics, Taj Mahal, Samurai, Ra, Fruit of Desert and Tigris and Euphrates, these were claimed to be the pinnacle board game design. Having been out of print for a number of years, they were revitalised by Fantasy Flight Games, 
Acquisitions and company conglomerations eventually led to the Euro Classics falling under the care of Z-Man and utilised the talents of original game designer Rainer Knizia. According to Kimball, Princess of Florence would have been the first non-Knizia game in the Euro Classics line. Designer Wolfgang Kramer reportedly wanted to expand the original to include a co-op mode, so the remake was underway. Kimball eventually stated that the project would not be finished though, not by Seaman Games anyway. The licenses for Kanitsha Games have been returned, so Seaman Games will no longer be reprinting any of the titles. Likewise, the ownership of Princess of Florence license has been returned to Kramer, and nor will they be looking to reprint any other classics. This is a bit of a shame, but at the same time I can totally understand it, as the amount of new games that we've got coming out all the time, sometimes things just got to be laid to rest unfortunately. So if you are interested in any of these classic games, I recommend you pick them up pretty quick, because it won't be long and you won't be able to get hold of them. When Tabletop Ramble was just an idea, one of the first people we wanted to get on the show was our next guest. In full disclosure, you'll have to forgive me for my bias, as I do consider him a close friend, but when you take a look at his work, I'm sure you'll agree that equality speaks for itself. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to introduce Alex Huntley of Warblock Miniatures. <laughs> How are you Brilliant. going, Alex? You okay, mate? Oh, I am wonderful, thank you, my good man. And how are you? Yeah, all oh, suffering with this cold, but other than that, I'm sure I'll live. Oh, absolutely, dear. absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm very, very excited to chat about everything. Yeah. Well, you've got a lot going on. So for anybody who doesn't know, can you tell us what Warp Block Miniatures is all about and how it come about? Well, that's a, that is a question. Um, so Warp Block Miniatures is a company founded by myself that sells my my wargaming miniatures, basically. How long have you been going with Warp Block? What, what, what was the origins of it? Well, I think, I think Warp Block, it's, it's the, I can't remember if it's the 10-year anniversary of Warp Block this year or whether it was last year, but it's been going a long, long time. Like, I, I actually first started um, selling models to cast when I was about 16, 17. I mean, I'd always been doing kind of conversions and things. Like, as a kid, like, you know, I got into I got into miniatures uh, with the, you know, those magazines that they did around the launch of the uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. The, okay, uh, the game yeah. Workshop. Yeah, so... Um, it was like those, you know, those monthly magazines where you would buy, um, you buy the magazine, and you'd have like a few models, and then maybe some little pots of paint and stuff like that. And like, that's how I got into miniatures. So I was actually exclusively into the Lord of the Rings set when I first got into it. But I always felt like I was very restricted in what I could create because obviously the models are very much based on the films, and the films are very much based on the the books so i didn't feel like there was any scope for me to really get too creative with things because i was always into you know conversions and chopping and changing parts and bits and stuff um but then i kind of through that discovered warhammer and that kind of allowed me to really kind of expand my hobby in ways that i could like really customize models like i my my first love will always be lizard men that's how I got into it because, you know, for a 10-year-old boy looking at toy soldiers, the ones that have dinosaurs and are dinosaurs, 
are definitely always going to be the one that grabs them. So yeah, I so I I started with Lisbon and I dabbled in other, I dabbled in other kind of um, uh, races and factions and stuff like that. Like I did like Chaos Dwarves, Skaven, Ogres. Although that a lot of them were very much kind of like one piece hobby projects but lizard men were the ones that i came returning to time and time and again and it actually were my first um fully complete army and then throughout this whole process like i was actually keeping a blog on quite a few forums at the time remember forums sure those things yeah wow uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> no i know but that's that's but that's the thing like and I think it's one of the things I really miss because obviously, you know, with most people now, they, they just post all their um, hobby stuff on Facebook or Instagram and stuff like that. But I really do miss that kind of that community of forums. Mm, but yeah. also it's a lot easier to kind of blog and catalog work and projects within the forum itself. You know, mm. with with Facebook, obviously, like if you you post something, it kind of gets swamped. By everyone else's it's kind of in a big melting pot of everyone else's stuff so it's a lot harder to follow a project and like one person's kind of thoughts and visions and stuff like that whereas with forums you could obviously make your own topic and then kind of post everything in there that's pretty much like a blog and I, I loved doing that and it was i had a hell of a lot of support and guidance from the the forum goers because I, I was only like 13 14 when oh, i first started it um but you know their, their their support and their encouragement really helped me push myself and you know push push the craft and then you know i was when i got to about 14 15 i was uh, starting to sculpt full models or you know very few bits of existing models because I kind of worked up from just doing like conversions and head swaps and things to started sculpting like new like cloaks and hands and weapons and then that kind of just built the models became more and more my own work until the point where I just enjoyed sculpting full miniatures much much more and it was a. I, I think I, you know, I was very much encouraged by the community on these forums to be like, oh, Alex, you should, you should um, definitely um, cast these models up. We'd be really, 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 really looking forward to it. And it was actually my my forum, ta my forum name, which where I got the uh, the name of my business. So my forum tag was Warplock Monkey. Don't ask me where I got <laughs> it from. Um, but uh yeah so when i did finally decide to um to launch warplock i i thought well people mine as warplock so i should like use that for my for my business name however there was a slight change so the way that i spelt warplock on my forum on my forum tag was uh, l o c k so warplock um, but I did double check because I got, I remember I got that from, um, cause I was really into Skaven at the time. And right. there is a, there is an item in the Skaven like armory or inventory called a warplock pistol, which mm. is a, a pistol, which uses warp stone as like, like flintlock, but it's warplock. I thought it was really, really cool. But before I made it officially my business name, I did email Games Workshop and be like, 
can I use this? And they were like, no, mate, you can't, because that's that's our thing. So I, I had to I had to change change the spelling a little bit. So it's now um W A R P L O Q U E like Baroque. So it's it should be pronounced the same, but um it is one of the things I have not regretted over the years, but I do wish I could have come up with a much more easily pronounceable and spellable business name. Because <laughs> I feel like it's definitely uh, I've heard so many so many different pronunciations of Warplock over the years. There's Warplog. Uh, yeah. People think the Q's a G. Um, there is Warplock K, which has been my favourite one. It's a bit of a <laughs> bit of a Latin twist, but yeah, that's kind of. That's kind of how at least the the business started. So it was in my I was about seventeen, and I I was I was doing commissions at the time. Like that was like my main source of income when I was a teenager, doing like private sculpts and things for people. Um, I actually um, became quite pally with um, Maelstrom Games, hmm. who. Um, at the time were quite a quite a big almost you know like like an element games warlord not warlord um um wayland games yeah they're very much of that ilk where they're a big kind of retail um thing based in mansfield in nottingham and they were looking into doing a miniatures range so they were selling like um second hand second hand models but also kind of sell i had a web store as well um and Tim, who was one of the guy, one of the guys who uh, owned the company, got in contact with me when I was doing my for doing my kind of sculpting projects, and was like, "Oh, well, hi, hi, well, we really like your work. Would you be interested in doing a commission for us?" So that kind of blossomed into uh, a working relationship. I ended up doing quite a few models for them. Um, for their first range, I think some of them are even still. They still sell them. I mean, they're god awful now because I was like <laughs> sixty. Because I was like sixteen when I made them, but um, but that that gave me the capital, and I funneled most of that money into um, paying for my first casts for Warplock to be made, and that was obviously a really really exciting moment. And I put the models online. It's like guys. You know, you've been so enthusiastic about me starting my own business and casting my models. I've got them ready to go. I've got a website, and no one bought them. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You shouldn't laugh. No, oh, no, no. I know. So I, I got about ten casts each of all the market. I started off with some trolls. Um, so like I did, I did like a river troll, a forest troll, a mountain troll, and a hill troll, and I could barely give them away. Right, it wow. was so hard and incredibly disheartening. Um, oh. because because like I think you know, all these years I've had all this encouragement, and then as soon as you know I, I put the stuff out there, I. Like it just didn't really get that traction. I think it was very much for people like, oh, that's cool. I might pick that up one day and then completely forget about it. Mm, um, yeah. So I kind of I I tried to carry on and push ahead, and I kept on releasing like new models and new releases and stuff like that. Um, I was at, I I discovered a website called Ulul, I think it's pronounced, which is kind of like a proto Kickstarter. Okay, like right. 
I think it, I, I'm not sure if it's still going, but um, at the time it was like because Kickstarter wasn't in the UK, it was it was only just um, being launched in the US. But if you had to have a US bank account, it's because it was out of my reach. And I did my first halflings and sculpted them and put them on there. I think I, I really struggled to get 10 people to back it. Um, like my first dragon, my, my first, my first orcs, um, my first giant as well was all kind of funded through there. But I mean, it, it, it was a proper slog to really try and sell any of them. And then I was. This was when I was um, in college, so I just finished my just finished my A levels, and I did you know much with the persuasion of my family and my teachers. They were like, "You need to go get yourself a proper degree." So I got mm. I got I got accepted into Nottingham University to do human genetics, um, but I said to my parents, "On well, the one condition is I want to take a year out to go to art college, because that way I can spend a year doing it." And then if I really, really, really like it, I can then kind of follow my career and go into art and stuff like that. But if I'm not that fast, not that fast, I'll go on to do my sciences. So I was at art college at the time, and then I kind of realized that the one of the one of the reasons why people weren't buying my models was because there wasn't really a use for them. Right. Because okay. like I I kind of I I'd noticed because the, the indie scene was just starting to grow at this point, because I think this was at a time where um, Games Workshop were having a bit of a slump. Like, the they'd done quite a few silly decisions. Like, the, the, their star was waning at the time, and I think uh, it was, it was, this was when, like, quite a lot of the indie companies that we know of today like Mantic and Warlord. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know of Warlord, but especially like the the very much smaller ones. So, like, and I was noticing that you know all of these other games companies had games. They were releasing models for games, and that was when I decided that well, what I needed to do was create a game that gave context to my sculpts because one of the things that I think kind of put a lot of people off was the fact that my style was very, very different to uh, the games workshop style at the time. Um, yeah. I think well, I was going to say, I mean, cause one of the things about your style is it's very caricaturish almost, mm. but at the same time, there's, there's a lot of detail and a, a lot of humor involved in it. And what I really like about your work is the fact that straight away, I think you can tell what you have done because it stands out as being totally different to anything else that's out there. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And I, it, it is a blessing and a curse. Like, because like, you are right. Like a lot of people do say to me that they can a hundred percent tell when it's one of my sculpts. But I think that does make it difficult for my sculpts to kind of be used within other uh, games, particularly Games Workshop games, because, like, uh, especially, I'm not sure how much it is nowadays, but back in the day, like, one of the big things that kind of independent sculptors would try and do is just make models or count as models for, um, like, Warhammer or 40K and things like that. I mean, I know that goes on a hell of a lot now with digital sculpting and printing and stuff like that, making it so much easier to get content out there. 
Um, but with my models, because I hadn't, I hadn't had any formal training, like all, like I, com- I was completely self-taught when it came to, to sculpting. And I think being in that kind of bubble where I was just kind of tinkering away and working it out myself kind of allowed my style to evolve on its own without really many influences in terms like in terms of miniatures I had loads and loads of influences in style like um as you very well know Jacko like one of my big passions is Discworld and Terry Pratchett um in addition the the works of Paul Kidby uh, who's one of his uh, main illustrators was in- incredibly influential on my style of drawing and I think that kind of bled into my style of sculpting as well mm. um but yeah like I, I I enjoyed I always sort of thought of my models as like three-dimensional illustrations where like I would I would enjoy putting like character into the models and humor and things. And like, that was something that really kind of carried on throughout, you know, even my early years to today. And it's something that I, I, it's the part that I really enjoy the most is kind of putting that character into the models. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, this some of the ones, I mean, you've, you've got like skeletons that are picking their noses and things like that is <laughs> I. It's just, it's just so unique, and I love it because it, it's, it just doesn't take itself too serious, mm. and it's absolutely perfect. It really is for that, you know. At the end of the day, these are little toys that you're meant to play with, and so they're there to be made fun of. No, you know? Absolutely, so, yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that was um, was also kind of taken from because at the time, at that time, in like the late noughties, like early teens. Games Workshop was uh, really trying to take itself very seriously with its aesthetics, because obviously, like yeah. in in the early days of Warhammer, like it was very caricature, very silly and slapstick, and that was always a style that I really, really enjoyed. And I think that kind of carried on for quite a while. But there was a period of time where every model was super serious and everything was super grim dark and like i just really didn't like that and i really riled like against that and it's actually been something that i've really really enjoyed over the past few years that games workshop feel it feels to me like they've really tried like they're recapturing that old characterfulness of their older ranges and they're really bringing it to the fore with some of their new sculpts and that's really really lovely to see yeah, well, I think it's quite funny. It, it seems to be that every time you come up with something, they sort of almost follow suit. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it is it is funny, and like I do like joking about. It. I mean, I know I know that like the Games Workshop sculpt their models like a year or two in advance and stuff like that, but it just so happens that like it was it's it is quite funny though because like when I first started Arc World. Like I made the scale that I sculpted Arkworld in was much bigger than a lot of the other miniatures ranges at the time. Like it because I mm. was like heroic thirty-two mil scale that I went to. You know, so big chunky models, and you know most most in um, and this was in twenty thirteen. Like this is when twenty-eight mil was still very much the norm. And like I had a few complaints yeah. about, you know, why'd you sculpt your models too big? And it was okay with like the monsters and stuff. When it came to like a human like models, it some it did put a lot of people off. But now, 
everyone's caught up to me. So, <laughs> yeah. so Ark World stayed the same scale, but now with every like now that a lot of the other games and also Games Workshop are doing a much bigger, chunkier scale, it's like now uh, now it's a, it's it is quite it's I mean it's great for me, but it does feel does feel quite nice to be ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> You're a trendsetter. Yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, I, that's the thing. I, I I do know that it's nothing to do with me at all. Like this is all jokes, but it is it is it does feel nice when like when people do like when you are on the kind of the same page as you know a lot of these um, much more successful companies, and it's like oh yeah, I was kind of doing the right thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so we spoke about Arkwell. Do you want to give us a bit of an insight into what exactly Arkworld is? Yeah, of course. So Arkworld is a uh, a narrative fantasy battle game. So I, I kind of decide I designed it to be almost like a halfway house between um, wargaming and RPGs, where like it has a lot of the mechanics of wargaming. It works in the same way as wargaming, but it utilizes a bit more creative thinking and storytelling that you see more commonly in uh, RPG games. Um, it is a a small a small game. Like most games are, roughly between about eight to fifteen models a side. It can scale up or scale down depending on how many models you've got, how much time you've got and such. But it focuses around conflict between various factions or creatures that populate uh, the fantasy world known as Arkworld. So now one of the things that I really like about it, you say you've got all these different factions. So you've got these 12 different factions. Mm. But one of the things that really attracted to it, because Hand on heart, I was not a miniature gamer at all. I didn't interest me, really didn't. I saw your miniatures and I thought, oh, I like the look of them. They're a bit different. They're funny. But what I really liked was when uh, one of my friends said to me, yeah, but if you want, you can just be a dragon. I was like, what? And you literally, you can pick to be a big beast and take on a faction. I've never heard of a game doing that before. Mm. Well, like for me, it like... Like monsters in Arkworld are just as much a part of the game as the, the actual factions. So um, one of the things that really used to annoy me when I was uh, when I was a teenager and playing Warhammer was that you know they had all these cool big monster models, but you had to. They were almost like a oh, but you've got to take all these troops and you've got to have this and you've got to have this. And there's so many caveats to being able to use these monsters. I think this is actually something that they've gotten rid of for Age of Sigmar. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But like, I wanted the monsters to be front and center of the game that I made. And as you said, Jacko, like, you, you can just be a dragon or a pack of trolls or you know any of these monsters that I've created, and that can be your force on the tabletop. In addition, you can also any faction can take any monster as part of the warband as well, as long as you, as the player, can come up with a legitimate reason why you know a team of halflings would have a tame troll kind of coming along with them on their adventures that is absolutely fine and is actively encouraged because there is lots of cool like rules and things that are exclusive only to monsters and to really get the full game experience it's 
you know, I highly recommend that you really do explore using monsters on the tabletop. Yeah, I mean, some of the best games I've played is actually where we've had, because it works really well, not just at two players, but three or four players mm. we found. Um, I've, We've had a few games where we've had, I forget where it was now, I think it was Wild Elves, there were wild elves, the Imperials, and I was a troll. Mm. And just to be able to flip between the because you're quite powerful by yourself. Mm. And the way that you're able to split your activations, so you can say, right, well, I want to use two of my, say, eight activations this round, and then I'm going to hold back. It's a very nice sort of gives you a lot of flexibility in your tactics. Mm. I really like it. Definitely. And I think that was always something that I was aware of when designing the game was that if you were playing as just one model and you were up against an opponent that was playing, you know, five or six or more models, you had to be, you know, I, I wanted there to be a way that you could react to the to the situation as it was occurring rather than, you know, doing your entire activation one go at the start and then allowing your, your opponent to run rings around you. So in the game, like... Every model has a number of action points. Those action points can be spent on various different like actions in the game, like moving, attacking, doing various different things. Um, with the monsters, because obviously they have so many more action points than your uh, a bog standard person, um, you can essentially pause your activation and then reactivate it again after your opponent has gone and essentially try and divvy up your action points so that you can stop and start so it it re- represents the the monster you know reacting to what the opponent is doing rather than kind of doing it all in one go and then just sat there waiting for everyone to catch up yeah it works really well it really does so leaving monsters to one side which i hate to do because <laughs> i really do love me monsters uh, but there's so much I love about Ark World, I must admit. Now, there are 12 different factions, I think I'm yes, right in saying. there are. Or well, there will be. Because some of them haven't been sculpted yet. There will yet. be, right. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll come back to the ones that we haven't got. Um, now, out there, we have got... I'm, I'm, I'm bound to forget some mm. of these, so I do apologise. But you've got Undead. Yep. Y- sorry, Ancient Undead. Yeah. You have got a Dark Warlord, who is basically like a... a big sort of powerful overlord who commands all his minions. Yeah. Then you've got the Mjolsfeld, which are like Vikings. Mm-hmm. You have got the Imperials, which play like Napoleonic so, uh, faction. Mm-hmm. You have got the Undead Raiders, which are almost, you've got a cross, but with these almost got two different ones. Yeah. You've got the ones that are like Paris Caribbean, and these were probably my first love, I must mm. admit. I was a massive fan when I first saw the uh, Pirates Caribbean, but you've also mixed them with sort of like highway yeah. But the two coming together, it just works because you can imagine how the two would be working in very similar sort of styles. Mm. You've got your wild elves. Now, your wild elves, they're not your typical elves, though, are they? They're quite dark. Yes, they are. So, um, I think another another one of the things that when I was creating the creating the kind of the lore of the game was that I was kind of sick of very Tolkien-esque elves where they're all very or very human-like. They're all these kind of very like highly educated, highly, you know, civilized like races. Like I was much more inspired by the 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 old stories of the Fae, where there were these kind of mm. um fickle, like 
almost forces of nature that didn't abide by the laws of men. And that was something that I really wanted to kind of lean into when designing the Wild Elves. So rather than being, you know, basically humans with pointy ears, they are these very tall, like almost, you know, seven feet tall, like bar barbaric creatures that live in the forests. Like they, they are, they are magical creatures. They are, they have various different kind of tones of skin. Like they're, some are blue, purple, green. Like they are almost alien-like in the way that they look and the way that they yeah, think. They kind of remind me like the creatures of Inavatar. Yes, there's that sort of wild. Yes, and that they were that, yeah. that that was actually one of the the big kind of inspirations for me when I came up with the initial designs for them. Um, but they, you know, they are very much kind of feral creatures. Feral creatures of magic, like they are, they are obviously incredibly intelligent. They have their own culture, they have their own like history and stuff. But they're they are so detached from humanity that the humans often see them as these completely like feral, almost like they don't have like any strip of humanity in them at all, which isn't true. And that is actually something. Because like one of the one of the difficult things when it comes to designing factions and races and lore for a game is that you need to boil them down to incredibly easy, easily kind of um, quotable things. And something that I'm looking forward to developing in the future is going actually in depth into the background of the characters. So like. For example, the wild elves is like it's very easy to kind of describe them as, oh, they're these evil elves that are kind of like Avatar. But there's like so much more depth mm. in the the backstory that can be ex explained. But with when when creating like war games in particular, you do really have to kind of boil things down to the most simple like components to try and explain them to people, just because it's because it's so. I think that's something that. Something that's, I think, one of the reasons why tropes are very, very useful. Like when you say, mm. "Oh, these are orcs," immediately people know, like, have an idea of what orcs are and how they look, how they act. And with Arkwell, there are a lot of a lot of like tropes that I have used, like you know, very common, very common terms like elves and orcs and halflings and things but they are very not they are they do have their own kind of unique twist on them which i haven't really had time to explore in terms of lore up until now too much but it is something i'm looking forward to doing in the future sorry i go on a, a proper trans tangent oh, then no no well you're absolutely spot on in what you're saying because the one thing i would say is that when i look at your say your orcs for mm. example they're not like your normal orcs because you've actually given them characters. I mean, like the, the original ones, your bay mm. orcs, they're sort of like set in some like South American like uh, hillbilly types where you've gone playing banjos and swilling hooch and you know that that you 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 sort of taken time to have a look and think right, how are these going to mm. be based and what are the characteristics going to be rather than just doing big green yeah. monsters. Yeah, that's what I really like and really attracted to me. I can imagine what what their home life would be like in a way. They're not just generic mm. 
creatures no, as def- such. Definitely. And that is some that is something that I, I do enjoy kind of spending time thinking about. Um, but then I do realize that for a lot of people, a lot of people don't tend to want to go that deep into lore. Like they just want models to either paint or they just want models to just play. Um, but then there are some people that really, really do enjoy diving deep into the backstory and lore of games that they play. And, you know, that is something that I I would love to have the time to to write a proper kind of lore book that explains in depth all of these all of these various different factions and races and cultures and things uh but hopefully that's something that's something to do for the future oh well hopefully i think the way your models are sculpted it really does lend itself to uh, a lot of intrigues or like what have they been up to you know absolutely we briefly mentioned so a couple of the other factions because uh, I don't want to get told mm. of forgetting. You got your beast folk, which are very animalistic, where they're recruiting creatures from all different backgrounds. So like you could have, I don't know, you've got like little toad mm. soldiers and big like stags and things like that. Um, they look absolutely astounding. Oh, they you. really do. You got your gremlins, your little uh, little cheeky green yeah. monkeys almost are getting all yeah. sorts. Uh, and I, well, Dagfin would kill me if I didn't mention course, the halflings because your halflings, I mean, I think that's what really put you on the mm. map, to be honest. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I, I say, I definitely say this as a joke, but like, I could literally sculpt nothing else but halflings and I'd probably be better off than I am now <laughs> because people, people love halflings. <laughs> they absolutely love halflings. And like, I'm very lucky that people love my halflings as well. And I love making them. Yeah. Well, happy days there then, but don't please, whatever you do, don't give up on the others. Cause to be, I, I'm probably one of the odd ones out because halflings are my <laughs> least favorite. I always prefer. Oh, you... <laughs> Maybe it's cause I'm a little bit, I think it's cause I'm vertically <laughs> challenged myself. And so I've got a bit of a fun. Oh no, but that, but like, like literally like it's because it, especially because your your favorite is the the undead raiders as well like i the undead raiders mm. are i would say like not not to not to be too negative about them but they are the the least popular faction in terms of sales and like and obviously when right. you're doing a job like this and like a lot of the feedback that you get is very much based on social media likes and shares and comments and stuff like that like whenever i post like like i know that if i post something up with halflings it's just gonna blow up because everyone loves them mm. whereas with some of the other factions like if i put them up and maybe get get a few people being like oh oh they look cool but like if i if i post something up with the halfling like literally you've got people posting that gif from um Futurama, where is like where Fry's like shut up and take my money? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, everyone's wrong. <laughs> I must admit, I'm the only one who's wrong. <laughs> well, one of the things that I would say um, about Arkworld, and you briefly touched on it before, the fact that it's quite an open sandbox mm. world, and it has, like, say, a big RPG mm. feel to it. Um, now. One of the things that I really love about it is you've got this mechanic that I've not seen anywhere else, and it's called yeah. the feet mechanic. Do you want to explain? The feet mechanic is uh, a system in the game which allows you as the player to 
essentially create rules for ideas that you have for things that your characters can do. So whereas for a lot of war games, like every, every, whatever your character can do is, is very much kind of stipulated in their stats, like you can only perform certain actions. Um, with uh, Arkworld, I took a lot of inspiration from my time playing D&D where you can come up with creative things to do on the fly whilst you're playing and the feat, the feat mechanic is uh, basically allows you to make that as playable rules in the game. Yeah, and to be honest, this is the thing that I absolutely love because you can really have a look what's on your board and look at different ways you can really interact with the scenery mm. and things. Um, I'll never forget a time we were playing a game and I was me Undead Raiders. No, actually, tell a lie. I was actually playing as, I think I was playing mm. as the Bayhawks. And my friend, I've lent him my, um, my Undead Raiders. And um, he, he said, basically, we had, this, um, we had this big sort of galleon ship. And this was sort of their base where they yeah. were starting from. And he said, right, four feet, what I want to do, I want to cut down the mast and try to flatten all your mm. guys that are there. I was like, what? Because you've got this feet mechanic, we're like, okay, we both agreed that it was an extremely difficult thing to be mm. able to do. And, uh, but lo and behold, when he rolled a dice, he had like four sixes, wow. like, and he was able to cut down his mast, fell down, flattened all my, uh, like my, uh, orcs. And, uh, yeah, and then he then was able to proceed uh, to use the fallen mast as a bridge to be able Amazing. to get away quicker. No other game in the world lets you do something <laughs> like that. And it doesn't matter the fact I lost because I still remember that feeling of thinking, wow, what an incredible thing Absolutely. to come and up that's, with. And that's uh, what really something that I wanted to encourage in the game. Like, I wanted there to be you know, this outside-of-the-box thinking, thinking about what would make cool, like, rule of cool, what would be a good, a good story and stuff like that. And I think, I mean, I am quite biased because I am more of a narrative gamer myself, but I find sometimes that ga certain game mechanics or, pe like, when you stick too rigidly to game mechanics, it really does kind of, um, it cuts off a lot of potential fun and enjoyment because Arcord isn't, it isn't a competitive game. Like it's meant to be for fun with your friends with a few beers and chill out. And it's very much like about creating like a really fun story and trying to imagine what these characters would do on the, on the tabletop. Absolutely. And it, it does it to a T. It really does. Because one of the things that I think that really put me off from, because like I said before, mm. I'm not a miniature gamer. And one of the things that put me off was sort of like the thicknesses yeah. of these rule books. And you, have, and you see people arguing about, well, in this sort of uh, codex, it says that it, you need to get this. Well, with my edition, it's and you just like, you spend more time arguing over whether or not yeah, you can see this character. Whereas your one, it's like, well, how difficult is it? Well, let's agree and let's get on with it. And it's, uh, yeah. That that's what it should be because you're there to play that's, and have absolutely. a good time. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, there are definitely games out there for people who do enjoy that aspect of the hobby, where you know it's essentially almost like a legal battle where you're using each other's rules to essentially argue a point. And you know, for for a lot of 
people, that is part of the fun, but that's not part of the fun for me. And that's why in my game, I wanted to make it. So it's about, it is about having fun and playing rather than getting tripped up over rules and tripping up the other players over rules. Yeah, well, this is it. So you, you wrote the rules yourself to this game. So not only do you do the, all the sculpting yourself, you also come up with the rules yourself. So how, how was the rule writing well, process for the, you? The, so currently we're on the second edition of, of Arcworld. Uh, the first edition was actually a collaboration between quite a few different people. Um, that, was, that was around for a few years. But at the end of 2018, I decided that I wanted to, to essentially have a fresh start um, rewrite the rules basically from scratch and try and and really make because like up until that point, um, like rules writing was something that I'd, I was convinced that I couldn't do because I was especially because at the start of Arcold I was at university and studying at the same time. I really didn't think I had the time or the ability to write rules as well. So I did farm them out to quite a few different people over the years and like with varying levels of success. Um, it got to the point where you know people weren't really happy with the way that the first edition rules were, so I decided to have a fresh start and just completely start again and do it all myself. And it really was an incredible, incredibly rewarding process. Um, I think one of the big things, the big things that I found was having a very tight knit group of friends, such as yourself, Jacko who were able to kind of give feedback, to read what I'd written, let me know, kind of. I mean, the amount of hours that we've all spent chatting about the rules, whether it's kind of been on WhatsApp, whether it's been, you know, sat in a hotel lobby after like a game or after like um, a trade show, just kind of literally spending 20 minutes discussing the, like the, the, the varying ways that you could write a certain mechanic. Like it is, it was definitely a really fun process and it was a lot easier because I had an amazing community that were all too ready to get stuck in and play it and give me feedback on what they liked and what they didn't like. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things I really do like is the fact that when you've only got to go into the Arcworld Facebook group, everybody on there is so supportive and, there's just such a good community feel to it. Definitely. And great. you know, I'm I'm incredibly lucky, like I like and some of those some of the people on there have been following my work since the forum days. So since I was four since I was fourteen, like people have kind of been there and it's been I mean Dagfin, for <laughs> example, who's one of the one of our friends and um one of the people who um is in the, the kind of the very close gaming like testing group that we're in, like he is yeah, he's been following my work since I was fourteen. I think he's got every halfling model I've ever sculpted. Even the he even was one of the ones the, the ten people that backed my first halfling um, crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> it's great to think that people have stuck with you all I'm, that I'm time. Incredible. But again, I think it's shown. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky to have the community around me that I that I have. Like even you know, it's it's wonderful to have people who are so so like supportive and so like eager to kind of help out. And because like one of the things that you know, I say in terms of creativity. Yeah, it is mainly me that does everything. But in terms of the actual Warplock business itself, it isn't just me. It's also my my lovely parents. 
So my my dad, he is the our resin caster, and uh, my mum is she she deals with all the orders. So she kind of answers the emails, packs the orders, gets them shipped off all over the world. But like I'm by no means like a, a one person um, organization. I've had so much support and help over the years, both from my family, my friends, people in the wargaming community. Like I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the help of a lot of incredibly kind and wonderful people. Yeah, well, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. And the funny enough, I was actually going to mention those guys because to me, in a funny way, this is one of the things that really adds to the charm of Warblog is the fact that there's a real personal touch to it all. This isn't just some sort of like mass-produced thing that's going to be made out in China. No disrespect to people in China, but it, I, to me, there's a, a nice, real nice, unique uh, home touch to it. The fact that this is all made within the UK is not only is it sculpted in the UK, not only is it designed in the UK, but like I say, your parents are the ones that are involved in the pack in the casting. It's everything about it. It just, yeah, it, it just really yeah, adds to the charm. And like, um, and yeah, it's. I mean, it's something that has been quite, quite tough over the past year because, um, obviously, with my parents being so involved in the business, they they come with me to trade shows. I often go because I'm I'm based in Nottingham now. I moved here for uni and <laughs> never looked back. But my my family are still based up in Yorkshire, where I grew up, and. You know, I would I would often I would go there very very regularly for business, and obviously I got to spend so much time with them. But since you know the pandemic, um, I haven't been able to see them at all for the past year because we haven't been going to trade shows, we haven't been able to go and visit them, and you know it's been it's been tough working together. Um, but you know they've been absolutely amazing. Like you know there's been two the the previous two um arco kickstarters so there was the second edition launch kickstarter and the imperials which was the first kind of faction that i that i released after the initial four like they those kickstarters were entirely packed by my mum and dad because i wasn't able to go not because normally mm. i would go back up and kind of stay with them for a week or so to kind of help and kind of organized getting every all the all the pledges packed and shipped and stuff like that but because of the because of the pandemic we like it's i've had to rely so much more on my parents to to do things like that and they've been absolutely incredible and i couldn't have done it without them yeah well it's so good to have that sort of support and like i say it just just adds that nice personal touch it really does so if anybody's interested in trying out Arcworld, you have got it available as a print and play. It's also available mm-hmm. on Tabletop Simulator. And you also have some solo uh, rooms available indeed. for it as well. So um, on the, all, the, these are all on the website. So the print and play set is something that I originally actually put together to take to trade shows as to for people's kind of pick up and take home because I had them I've got them printed on like really nice kind of thick card stock but I put them online as well especially since the since the start of lockdown in the UK and just the pandemic in general um so if you are interested in trying out Arcworld all the rules are, a lot, are online for free um and they are kind of, I've designed a series of paper standees of a of a few miniatures so that you can play um as you mentioned, there is also a, a solo version 
of the game. So if you do fancy trying out the rules and you know you're you're away from your gaming club or no one in your household does fancy gaming, then there's there there's an option to play through those rules on your own. And um they've actually been very, very successful. Uh, there's a someone in the Arcworld community who is uh, he's actually based in New York and he's been quite isolated over the over the um the pandemic. I think he told me he's played about 180 games of of Arkwell, of solo Arkwell. Wow. <laughs> so I think if there, if there were any issues with the games, it probably would have been picked up by now. So yeah, like that is that is definitely an option if you do want to kind yeah. of uh, try out the game yourself. And it's so handy as well, especially in the circumstances that we're in at the moment. So um, there you go, guys. If you fancy it, give it a go. You can't go wrong. You really can't. And like yeah. I say, it's all free to download as well. So, just want to change tags a little bit. So, because of the circumstances we are in at the moment, uh, you require a fairly new skill set that um, encompasses digital sculpting. So, well, uh, so yeah, how uh, did that come about? It's actually a a, a direct cause. Like it was directly caused by the by the pandemic. So um, this time last year, I was actually set to go to Adepticon in Chicago. Like um, I'd just done the the Arcworld Second Edition Kickstarter. I was just about to launch it, um, like to retail. I was like the 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 pledges were being packed and shipped. Uh, so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to go to one of the biggest war gaming's uh, events in the world and demo it and try and get some support. Perhaps look into um, working with some companies out in the US to stock the game. And then the lockdown happened, and I had to cancel the entire trip. And as <laughs> I'm sure the rest of the of the world was, I was absolutely raging. <laughs> my dream, my dream trip, my dream trip to the yeah. US had been cancelled. Now I had, I'd obviously been aware of digital sculpting for a long, long time, but as I was a hand sculptor, I I was quite high and mighty about it in the past. Like saying, oh, no, 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 I need to keep the craft alive and stuff. I won't do digital stuff. Um, but uh, a gentleman called Dan Kelly, who has a Patreon called Lion Tower Miniatures, um, he messaged me and was like, dude, you've got to get into this. And I was like, oh, you know, but and he's like, no, seriously, mate, like, it's so good. Like, I've got a Patreon, like, it's doing really, really well. It's a constant source of income. And I think it would suit you really well. And like, it was actually in the week that I was meant to be in Chicago that I was like, well, I've got bugger all else to do. I'm miserable and fed up anyway. Cause I'm like, then my whole trip's canceled. So I'm going to use my, use my energies in a more constructive manner rather than screaming at the walls. So um, I took Dan up on his advice and he was very kind to kind of give me a few tips and tricks on how to get, get um, the grips with ZBrush and to be honest, within a week, I was I was hooked. I was like, "Yep, I can I can definitely do this." And I launched. Uh, this was a, I believe this was like in the middle of middle of March, roughly actually roughly around the same time as uh, as as now. And then by the first of May, I'd launched my Patreon. What I really like about when you look at your work, it doesn't just look like digital sculpting. It still has that Alex Huntley look about it. It still has your uniqueness. 
<clears throat> it's revolutionized my business. I mean, I've all, I, I still do hand-sculpted stuff for my main Arkworld game, and that is something that I'm quite keen on kind of sticking to. Like, I think it's very important to keep the craft alive, and I know that there are quite a few people in the Arkworld community that really do like the fact that the models are hand-sculpted. Um, but with the Patreon, so the way that it works is yeah. that every month... I create a set of 3D printable miniatures, not for any game system in particular. They're meant to be more for, you know, general use, wargaming, RPGs, anything like that. Um, and then people pay a small amount per month, and then they can download those files and print them on their own 3D printers. I think it, it's $10 a month. That's the That's the cost of the subscription, which I think is about eight quid eight pounds a month and then but then you like the the people are getting quite i sculpt quite a few different models like i i often do like multi-part models as well so you have a series of components and then you can essentially print off as many as you want and then you can arrange them in as many different ways as you want so some of my patreon backers have printed entire armies based off my models because one of the benefits of 3d printers is that you're not you're not really you're the only thing that you've, you're really tied down to is the time and the cost of the resources you can make as many models as you want yeah well this, this is a thing i've seen here myself somebody i think it was a dwarf army all of the figures in the army they all still look totally different because like i say they're able to put say a different head on or a different arm mm. and still just make all these subtle little changes and so for the cost of like say about eight quid you've got yourself a dwarf army it's yeah, it's, it's definitely really, it. really interesting. It. And obviously the 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 industry is changing, like especially with because 3D printers are becoming more and more accessible, they're becoming cheaper, easier to use. Like people, especially over the past year, I think it's really fast forwarded this process because people have been stuck at home they haven't been able to go to gaming clubs, they haven't been going to game shops or to conventions and trade shows. Whereas with the 3D printer, you don't have to wait for things to be shipped you don't have to pay for postage and packaging you literally buy the file download it and then it can be literally on your table within a few hours and for me as a creator and patreon for creators general is yeah. an incredibly um wonderful setup because for the first time in my working life i've had a regular income a month a monthly income because obviously up until this point it has been very much based on kind of it's very been very much boom and bust in terms of kickstarters because a lot of a lot of my customers are at least for arcworld are within the arcworld community and if they know that if there's a kickstarter coming up they're not going to buy anything they're going to save up their money for the kickstarter so before this before last year there were you know very intense periods of sales with kickstarters and stuff but then there were you know months in between where the web store was really dead and that was you know that that was balanced out with going to trade shows but obviously since the lockdown happened there are no trade shows happening yeah. at the moment but the patreon has been such a wonderful like helping hand because i know i can work out how much money i'm going to be earning just as a base each month because i of the of my subscribers and it's really it's made it's changed my life it really has so i love you guys <laughs> just mentioning briefly Ooh, what can we look forward to in the future question i've got so much 
planned for the next few months. So obviously we've at the moment we've got a, a Kickstarter running for another faction for Arkwell, the Orcs. Um, they've been redesigned for second edition, so I'll be doing new models. I'm doing new models for them, but also additional models for the existing uh, second edition factions as well. So even if you're not into the green skins, there's still stuff in there for the models you've already got. Something that's entirely new that I am very, very excited about is the first issue of the Arkworld comic series. So I've been working with an incredibly talented writer called Mike Garley, and he has and he has been writing uh, the first issue of like a of the Arkworld comics, uh, following the the adventures of the Explorer, who is kind of the main character of Arkworld and a lot of the lore is kind of recorded and written from his perspective. Um, we've been working with a very, very talented artist called Russ Olson, and he's been doing an incredible job bringing Arkworld to life on the page. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to showing this off to everybody in the Arkworld community and beyond. Um, so that should, that comic and with a miniature range to kind of go alongside it, will be being released, fingers crossed, this summer, if everything goes to plan. Then there mm-hmm. is another Arkworld Kickstarter that's hopefully going to be in late summer, early autumn, which will be bringing two new factions to the game, which will be the Vampires and the Wizards. And that will be an expansion called Arkworld Blood and Magic. So that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to because these are two factions that I've wanted to do for a very, very long time. And I think um, they're two factions that the Arkworld community are very much looking forward to as well. And then <clears throat> my final kind of big project for this year, though it might might creep, like might have to be pushed back a little bit into next year, depending on how long things take to work on is my first foray into the world of board games and plastic production. So I am working on a Mm. a boxed, a boxed dungeon crawler game called dungeons and dumplings, which follows a a team of halfling adventurers battling an army (laughs) of horrible food based monsters that have taken over a town, a halfling town. It's set with it set in Arkworld, but it is not of Arkworld. And though there are quite a few crossovers with the rules, but it's going to be an entirely new game with entirely new mechanics. Um, so that's something that I'm really, really looking forward to. It's very much inspired by a classic dungeon crawler box sets like Hero Quest, Warhammer Quest. Um, so that's a, a, quite a a massive undertaking that I've been kind of tinkering away at for the past few months. And I'm very nervous to see how it develops over the next few months. Yeah. Well, I say I've, I've had a sneaky peek behind that one and yeah, so far so good. I'm really liking what I'm seeing. I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. I love it. I must admit. So anybody who's interested and well, I can't see anybody who wouldn't be interested because like I say it is absolutely fantastic guys don't just take my word for it go and have a look for yourselves but where's the best place for people to get in contact with you and have a look see everything you've so got so the best place to get in contact with us is either directly through my website um, but um, it's if you are really interested in Arkworld and you really want to kind of get to know the game get to know the community then the best place is definitely the Arkworld Facebook group 
Um, there is loads and loads of people on there, really, really wonderful, really, really friendly, and uh, they will be more than happy, as well as myself, to uh, answer any questions that you have about the game, about the range, and also uh, give you any tips and tricks on your hobby projects too. There we go, guys. Well, I've got nothing else to say other than a massive thank you for joining us, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can finally tick you off my list of people I've really needed to get on this show. So thanks a lot, mate. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. It's been real fun. It's time for the Kickstarter kick around. As this is a Warp Blob miniature special episode, it seems only right to spend uh, a Kickstarter kick around in Arcworld. So bring this up to date. We've currently got a Kickstarter that's happening, mm. and this one is called the Orcs. So the what have Orcs, we got available the in Orcs? Kickstarter is um, another faction to be released for Arcworld Second Edition. It brings a a brand new team of green skins to the fray, and so the Kickstarter is kind of expanding their models for their faction um we're looking at a few extra bits like monsters and stuff like the uh, the swamp wyvern and also quite a few new models for the existing uh, five arcworld factions such as the halflings the wild elves the undead raiders the imperials and the beast folk well i say i'm just on the page now looking at it and it looks absolutely fantastic I wanted it as an opportunity to really kind of look and redesign quite a few elements of the of the game that I didn't like or wanted to change. And that's not just the rules, but also kind of the backstory and the lore. And in terms of the orcs, like originally, like in first edition, the, the design was very much based on uh, Deep South, uh, USA kind of culture and things. And I felt like I wanted to take a different direction for second edition. So I've made them a lot more kind of fantasy focused rather than real world focused. Like I've taken obviously inspiration from various cultures, but for these guys, like I want to make them almost more like, um, like I always imagine, I imagine these guys in my head to have almost like West country accents. All right. So, so they're essentially like nomad, a nomadic, <laughs> people that kind of move around and kind of live off the land and live off you know um raiding settlements and things like that um they have uh quite a big connection to nature they have uh, they one of their big passions also is the kind of the brewing of magical elixirs and brews and like liquors and things like that. So a lot of their kind of motivation within the world is to seek out weird and wonderful new ingredients for their for their concoctions. Now they are they're the big green skins, though they're very heavy. Um like there is a, a leader called the chieftain and he is the the he is the uh, at least what appears to be the leader of the clan. But in reality, it's actually the the mage who controls the orc society, and he is called the Dream Eater, because uh, using a, various concoctions and magical herbs and mushrooms and magics and things, he can warp the minds of 
people who he wants to take advantage of and seep into their nightmares and feast upon their emotional energy. And this is um, one of this was actually a really interesting kind of thing to bring to the tabletop with the uh, the rules for the orcs as well so i yes i think it was either yesterday or the day before i uh, uploaded the the beta rules for the for the orc faction so that people can have a look at kind of the direction that i'm wanting to go with the the new designs and the new rules and stuff so i'm really interested to see what people think of the game when they get the models in a few months time and could play a few games yeah well like i said they're looking incredible one of the things I really like, and I hope they can still do this, is that they're always accompanied mm. by their little boglins and the uh, the big brutes. They can actually pick up these boglins and just sort of throw them and boot them. Uh, yeah. like little things like that. I absolutely love. Wow. I was just going to say, like that rule is still one hundred percent in there. So do not worry; it's still completely usable. Oh, great, great! Because yeah, I'm... you can pick them up and throw them about and stuff like that. Which I'm really looking forward to seeing how people. Uh, creatively use that in the in the games i feel like there's a lot of ways that you could uh, really kind of mix things up especially with the feet system as well yeah i just thought you could do uh all for york and uh, basically have a game of boggling football <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good idea actually <laughs> now one of, one of my favorite models that have come out of this kickstarter is your bruzu uh, sorry get us right bruzerka um yeah, oh, he's awesome. He, he reminds me sort of like a sort of a football hooligan. Mm. He's just sort of you know, coming up and going, think you're hard enough. He's, you know, he's got his pint in his hand. Oh, absolutely incredible work. Thank I love you it. so much. Yeah, that's that was really like one of the big things about um, the design process is that I wanted some, I wanted a kind of a, like a warrior who was so like, like het up and like punch drunk on all these weird and wonderful concoctions that the orcs brew that he was just an absolute maniac on the battlefield and as well like you know when you you know when you go out with the lads and there's always the one guy that comes back with shots and no matter how many times you stop him he's always pouring stuff down your neck until everyone's like face down on the floor that's the bruiserker yeah Oh dear, he's he's incredible. I say I've just got to get him. I've got to get him. He's he's one of my favourites. He really is. So looking at well, what we've got here, we have got uh, another week left. So this one is due to be completed on March the thirtieth. Yes, is that right? indeed correct. So a week a week today. So it'll be it'll be ending at eight pm UK time on March the thirtieth. And we're opening up all these different daily goals as we're going along as well. So, or every other day, I should say. So if, if you've already got, say, a team of wild elves or imperials or halflings, then you will be able to get something else for your faction. And I just noticed today we are due to get ourselves another big beastie. So that's going to be worthwhile. Absolutely. And he should, be, he should be up now. Well, that's another show done. But like I say, a massive thank you to Alex Huntley for joining us, for sharing his insight and where it takes to be a game designer, a sculptor, a writer, and an artist, all rolled into one. All the show notes can be found over on our website, which is tabsupramble.com. If you want to discuss anything that we've mentioned today, then feel free to drop me an email at tabsupramble at gmail.com or alternatively, just join us on our Discord channel. Until next week, make sure you stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you then.